Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Hey, uh, this is Jawid Hakmal, 33 years old from Afghanistan. Uh, I have uh, four kids, a wife, and uh, 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 total 12 family members. Jawid Hakmal used to work with the Canadian military in Afghanistan. Jawid and his family were rescued by Ukrainian special forces a few days after the Taliban took control of Kabul last summer. Uh, the problems we suffered from the last uh, 30 hours or from the last 20 days, it is unforgettable for me. I will never forget that. This is just because I lost my country. I lost everything. I lost my hope. Jawid's been forced to leave because he helped Canada years ago, and that made him a target for the Taliban. I have several certificates. I have several times survived, rescued several soldiers of the Canadian Armed Forces and several ambushes. I saved their lives. So in these certificates, they clearly say that Jawid is the person who saved all my team. If Jawid was not there, my team would be not alive here now. The Ukrainian special forces got Jawid and his family to Kyiv. The Globe paid for them to live in a hotel there while they waited to hear whether they could come to Canada. Imagine 70 days living in a hotel for the kids, for the women, for a pregnant woman. They're just living in these rooms. No one even can't go out. And no school for the kids, nothing. There is no school, there is nothing. They're all the time just crying in this hotel. Then war broke out in Ukraine, forcing Jawad and his family to flee yet another war zone. Even now, eight months after fleeing Afghanistan, Jawad is still waiting to find out if he can come to Canada. Globe reporter Janice Dixon caught up with Jawad recently. It was the responsibility of Canada to help me rescue my family in this worst time. But they left me in worse situation. They left me behind. They even didn't hear about me. And first you left me in Afghanistan. Again, you're leaving me in this worst situation. Please help me. Unfortunately, nobody did help me except the publics of Canada. Today on The Decibel, Janice Dixon looks at the twin tragedies of the Afghan and Ukrainian conflicts and how Canada has responded to each. Janice, it's so great to see you again. Great to see you too. So you've been following Jawed's story for a while now. Uh, we know that when the Taliban seized power in Afghanistan last summer, Jawed was desperate to leave the country for the very real concern that he and his family would be targeted because he helped the Canadian military. And the Globe and Mail actually helped get him and his family out of Kabul, thanks to the help of some Ukrainian special forces. And, and then Jawad and his family lived in a hotel in Kyiv in Ukraine until the war there broke out. And then, Janice, what happened at that point to him? So even before the war broke out in Ukraine, um, Jawad was getting increasingly nervous, understandably, about still being stuck in Ukraine. He had been living there with his family without documents, and they were nervous about leaving their hotel room. And now they're on the brink of war and not sure what's going to happen to them or how they're going to get out. He had met um, an Afghan shopkeeper who sold cell phone cases, and he turned to that man um, for help, saying, you know, how are you getting out of the country? At this point, the war had already begun. 
And so Jawad actually gave that man his wife's wedding ring as collateral to afford the bus trip to Poland, um, which he said was long and full of stops with people sort of, or officials, I suppose, demanding more money for them for the bus to continue. And so finally, uh, they reached the Polish border. There were volunteers and, and people who, who ultimately helped him on the other side. Once the family got to Poland, where did, where did they head to after that? Jawid said a volunteer helped them. Uh, they took them to a school and, and they stayed at a, a school overnight. I actually remember speaking with him when he arrived at the school and he was so thrilled. He said his kids were happy. His two-year-old son, Mohammed, was like climbing um, uh, stairs that were on the on sort of attached to the wall. And uh, yeah, he said they were playing with kids and he was just so relieved. Um, shortly after, the volunteer who helped him get to the school took his family to Berlin. So then what happened next? So Jawad arrived in Berlin, uh, stayed there for a little while, and then was quickly moved on to a camp called Bramshi. And Janice, you were just in Germany, and I know you visited some of these these refugee reception centers there. Can you tell us what are they like? So I went to the camp in Bramshi, and uh, unfortunately, officials, uh, security guards wouldn't allow myself and the photographer I was working with to actually enter the the facility. Um, But I stayed on the ground for hours, uh, speaking with refugees from Syria, Iraq, Iran, Turkey. I heard that, you know, the food was terrible, close living conditions, and they were worried about COVID and that sort of thing. For Jawad's part, he said they were having trouble finding food initially and that one of his young daughters actually pulled food out of a trash bin to eat it because she was so hungry. Mm. Of course, I wasn't inside, so I'm not sure what it looked like. But officials said that refugees there are provided with three meals a day and you know sufficient beverage and that sort of thing. And so he contacted a volunteer who he had met in, in Berlin and who was able to connect him with a church that had this large home uh, sitting empty. And so that's where he and his family have been staying in this very stately home in, in northern Germany and in, in the countryside. OK, so it, it sounds like this family's had a pretty harrowing journey. I mean, they started in Afghanistan, got to Ukraine, war broke out there, traveled through Poland to Germany. I mean, this is a Jawad's traveling with his family, which includes his pregnant wife, all his kids, his elderly mother. Why aren't they in Canada yet? Because they are still waiting for a decision from Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada on their case and on whether they are approved to travel to Canada. He's really worried about his children. That's one thing that he said over and over, that they've lost all of this time now not being in school. And so I think that if registering and and going through the asylum procedure in Germany meant that um, his family would have some kind of protection and that his kids could go to school and they could get into the the swing of things again, he'd be open to that. But he still really wants to come to Canada and feels like he's entitled to because of his work with the the Canadian military. And, you know, he also has a really big community here with many translators um, that he worked with and friends 
that have been evacuated to Canada already. And he says, you know, I have community there, a built-in community where I could fit in quite well with my family. And, you know, he was under the impression that he would be welcome to Canada by now. So I think he is still holding on to some hope. The Canadian government has said they were bringing lots of people who worked with the Canadian military to Canada and promised to do that. What is the status of, of Jawood's application specifically to, to get to Canada? It's, it sounds like he's in that process, but wh- wh- what point is it at? The immigration department won't comment on specific refugee cases because of privacy reasons. So we don't really know the exact reason that's holding up his case. Jawad said he was interviewed over Zoom at Canada's uh, embassy in Berlin not too long ago, and that the officer interviewing him said that a security issue um, has come up with his case and that uh, when he had applied for a job as a translator with the U.S. some years after he had worked for the Canadian military, they vetted him and had discovered, I suppose, that he had a phone call or some communication with who he described as a bad person. Hmm. Now, he says that at the time he was running um, a car parts uh, shop and that he had tons of clients. Um, He doesn't know their backgrounds. And, you know, he was making all kinds of phone calls. And so perhaps it's it's that, Hmm. but he insists that he doesn't know, you know, who they're talking about. And to be clear, though, has Immigration, Refugee and Citizenship Canada, the the IRCC, has the IRCC denied Jawad's application for him and his family to come to Canada? So they haven't denied his application and they raised this issue with him, um, he said. And so I suppose they were interested in his response. Um, I think as long as that's the case, he'll still be hopeful. In, In a strange way, Jawad is kind of one of the lucky ones. I mean, at least he isn't stuck in Afghanistan uh, because things have really deteriorated there. We've seen the news of of rampant hunger uh, and and girls being denied higher education. And people who did help foreign governments like Canada are, are essentially being hunted down by the Taliban. Janice, can you remind us how many Afghans has Canada promised to bring into the country? Um, So Canada promised to bring 40,000 Afghans to Canada. They made that promise, gosh, last year, I guess eight months ago, and they've brought in just over 11,000 now. Okay, so kind of just over a quarter, basically, of that promise Mm -hmm. then. They have said that this whole process will probably take two years. At this rate, though, I mean, they would need to speed up quite a bit. But the biggest challenge that the government has cited is people stuck in Afghanistan because many don't have documents. And to get documents, they have to go to Taliban-run office and ask for their passport. And this is really challenging. I've, I've talked to quite a few Afghans who are scared to get their passport or who have been questioned about why they want their documents. And, and so I, I'm sure many don't go because of this fear. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you need to get documents to leave the country, but the process of, of trying to obtain those documents puts you in danger, I mean, that's that's a pretty tough situation to be in then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, you mean, you said, you know, the plan is this could take up to two years here, but this is a pretty dangerous situation for a lot of people. If we don't have embassy staff on the ground in Afghanistan anymore, 
I guess, do we know what the government's plan is for actually getting these people out of the country and, and to Canada to safety? No. And that's been the central question that we've been asking the government for months. Um, you know, Afghans that worked directly for the Canadian government are hiding. They've literally been hiding since August. They're living in a terrible conditions, just waiting for paperwork and hope that they can they can get out of the country and, and get to safety. And a few um, Afghans who I've been in touch with have had some success getting to Pakistan, getting in touch with Canada's embassy there, getting paperwork, and then ultimately being on a, on a plane to Toronto shortly after. And of course, now we're also seeing people in Ukraine trying to leave that country because of the war that's happening there. How is the process of Ukrainians trying to get to Canada? How is that different from Afghans trying to get to Canada? So the chief difference between how uh, Canada treats uh, Ukrainians fleeing war and Afghans who have who are fleeing their country is that um, Ukrainians coming to Canada aren't technically refugees. So they're here as sort of temporary visitors. Um, many have family connections, which is um, extremely helpful. But at the same time, they don't have the kind of benefits that government assisted refugees um, would have. And mm -hmm. so I've heard from Ukrainians that they're looking for healthcare support and for a whole range of assistance they're not getting right now because the policy stipulates that they're not refugees. They're here and they can live here up to three years, but they're not, they don't have the same kind of um, support built in. So, you know, then on the other side of things, you have, you know, Afghans who, you know, it's terribly difficult to get out of their country. But once they do, and once they arrive in Canada, they do have more support available to them. Interesting. Yeah. So it's easier for Ukrainians to get to Canada, but they have less support when they get here. Harder for Afghans to get to Canada, but they have more resources essentially when they do arrive. At least in terms of government support, because um, some could argue that uh, if Ukrainians are coming and they're staying with family and friends and they have they have sort of a different uh, type of support that the government can't offer. So how many Ukrainians have actually come to Canada since the war started there? So according to figures from the government, and they date back to January 1st, they say that nearly 20,000 Ukrainians have arrived to Canada between January 1st and April 17th. Okay. So yeah, so that's a bit before the war started because the war started at the end of, of February. But that that's a significant number compared to the number of Afghans who arrived in Canada. We're talking kind of almost almost double then. Exactly. And I mean, I think that really shows just how much easier it is for Ukrainians to get to Canada than Afghans. Mm -hmm. And just lastly here, Janice, coming back to, to Jawad and his family who are still in Germany, what's next for them at this stage? Well, right now they are, you know, still waiting to hear from the Canadian government on the status of their, their case. There are some volunteers in their area who are providing them with some support. And so I, I think they're hoping to get registered and learn more about the kind of help that they might be able to get there while they wait um, for Canada to make a decision. Janice, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks so much for having me. Before we go, I wanted to invite you to a free virtual event next Wednesday, May 4th at 12.30 p.m. It's part of the Globe's Women's Collective. 
Women entrepreneurs and business owners will share strategies on growing your business after two years of pandemic challenges. You can learn more at globeandmailevents.com. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.